Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend, my co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, as always, good to see you. You as well, man. How's life? Good. And update. I'm super sore. Here's why. Why? I'm back on the wagon doing the push-ups. If you have listened to our early episode podcasts, we did a push-up challenge with our group of people that um, are kind of accountability group, whatever you want to call it. And I decided a couple of days ago, and so I'm three days in and good reminder for those of you out there, as you're setting goals and getting back into things, make sure it's realistic because I decided to start at a higher number than I think was probably where I was currently at. And so now I'm super sore, but it feels good to be, uh, to be back on the wagon, working towards something. I'm going to mention uh, a book that I've mentioned, I don't know, 600 times on this podcast, probably atomic habits by James clear. It is, I think the best book on habit formation stuff. He talks about make it easy, right? When you're trying to develop something new, make it easy. If you want to, be somebody that does push-ups every day. John, don't try and do 150 day one, do, do 30. Okay. And then build into it. I, I think about my running, uh, experience last summer in last February, February, 2021. I, the first day I ran, I ran 1.12 miles in like 11 and a half minutes. It was slow. It was painful. It was irritating. I probably went too far. I probably tried to go too fast. Even that is really, really slow. Right. By the end of the summer, I'd run a lot more miles than that. I ran a you know, ten mile run in eight minute pace or eight twenty pace, like had ran a five K in under twenty one. Like it happens. It just takes time. It's just like it's gonna go slow. Go slow to go fast. Right. And um what a what an interesting challenge as we kind of approach the new year here, New Year's resolutions. Like they're not effective because we think that they have to change everything all at once. A lot of the research right now is telling us that habits take, you know, 80, 86 days on average mm-hmm. to codify and to, and to be built into your routine. So that 21 day thing is a cool message. It's just not always accurate. Anyway, um, that, that does lead into some of what we we're talking about today with our guest today, because he was bringing a lot of like practical things we could implement in our life that might take a little bit of time to get good at. But if we do it, it's going to increase our performance. Who we talked to today, John? Chris Goodman, mental performance coach in the Tampa Bay Rays uh, minor league baseball organization. Cool stuff, man. And we get into a little bit how we got connected. And it's amazing how small the world is when you start to uh, put yourself out there and, and build relationships. And, and that's something that we certainly talk about a lot. But yeah, Chris brings the good juice today. There's a lot of very tangible things and it. Some of it we've talked about before and some of it not. And I, I appreciate his perspective on a lot of those things and how easily attainable they can be if we choose to live intentionally, live eyes up and, and do it on purpose. So I'm excited to bring this one to you, Chris Goodman. Here we go. Chris, I, I had to hit record. Usually this is Jamie's issue because I get mad at him because he starts asking questions and saying stuff that I think should be shared. <laughs> anyway, um, we have what a small world, man. We were just talking before we hit record. Chris Goodman on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you. 
And the thing I love about doing podcasts and the, and the more we get into the field of mental performance, getting better and self-improvement, all of this stuff that we talk about with our guests is the world just keeps getting smaller. We got connected because I retweeted something you said on Twitter. And then all of a sudden there's just like all these connections, you know, Cassie Weaver, who was on our podcast. And then it's like, oh, you're from Minnesota. And it turns out you actually know people that we played football with and your dad worked at Bethel University. What a crazy small world. Welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Yeah, thank you so much, John, Jamie. It's good to be part of it. Uh, to make it even smaller, I played in Alexandria in the Northwoods League, uh, which you said that you're from that area. We used to play against Wilmer all the time. So yeah. pretty familiar with those two areas. Yeah. And then I'm from Mankato and you were a grad assistant right. or I'm from the Mankato area. You're a grad assistant coach at Mankato, went to school at Apple Valley originally in, in high school. Right. Like all of our Minnesota listeners are going, man, we know all of these places We're ticking off all these things. Now you're working in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. My first question starts there. Tampa Bay has a tremendous capacity to build people in their farm system that it's constantly like who is this guy and he's a dude out of nowhere first year up second year up he, they just perform at a really high level when they get to the majors what is it about that organization that has this capacity to say we're growing people is it a teaching thing is it a coaching thing is it the mental skills thing from your perspective what do they do so well to prepare guys to perform at a high level when it comes to the majors when they first show up yeah, great question. And I think it's just so, so many different things. Um, uh, it's, it's not just the mental side. It's um, our strength and conditioning staff. It's our scouts. It's our athletic trainers. It's so many open-minded people in the front office. Uh, I, you look around baseball and it's not just our players that are like moving on and, and growing and developing and, and other, or not just the Rays organization, but other places. I think like uh, the Dodgers, I think it's Andrew Friedman. It, you have the Astros with James Click. You have Heim Bloom with the Red Sox. Um, you know, it probably goes on and on and on. And those are all guys before I even got involved in the organization. But with our players, I think they're already very good. They're, they're really talented. So I always come back to the fact that it's on the players. They're, they have done a phenomenal uh, job of developing and listening also, at times, I think you have to be stubborn and know yourself. Uh, and so they've done a, an awesome job. Uh, and then we do have some great coaches and great overall people. And like I said, open-minded. I don't think we're afraid to do something different. And therefore, I think we're different. Like I, I, I love this idea that you're like, it starts with talent, but isn't everybody at that level, pretty talented. You played four years in the minors. You had the opportunity to rub shoulders with some of those guys. I imagine in your mind, you're like, I'm not that different than some of these dudes. You know, like everybody has a base level talent proposition. Something is happening. And you talk about, we do things a little bit differently. What, you know, I think a lot of parents out there are going, my kid is special. There's a, but everybody at some level is that special thing. What is it that allows people to take that next step? And how do you guys help facilitate that? Yeah, you're definitely right. There's kind of like this funneling that happens as you move up from each level. And, and I definitely experienced it. I was fortunate enough to experience it. Um, I think anyone that 
goes beyond high school, uh, any athletics starts to experience it even more. It certainly happens in high school athletics as well. But uh, yeah, the, there is so much talent throughout all of it. And I think it's all kind of different. Like one guy might be his one or two um, tools are his, his arm. He, maybe he's an outfielder. He's got a great arm and he's fast. Okay, well, now can he not only use those current abilities, uh, to the best of his ability, but grow some other ones. And that's where, of course, uh, the coaching aspect comes in of, all right, trying to impact the baseball a little bit more. Uh, also on the mental side of things, what is it that we're looking for to grow? How do we measure it? What are, like, what are we looking at? Um, so I, it, for me, it's really cool having a baseball background and having the mental side and um, being in sports psychology is that it can blend. And you don't really get to the highest level without blending them. So talk about that blend. How, how do you make that part of the mainstream? Because again, sports psychology, I know it, it's relatively new still, you know, in, in terms of, I think baseball does it better than any other league that I, that I've seen so far. And, and you're starting to see some trickle down, right. And in, into some, places I know you worked at IMG Academy for for a bit which is I think you know the model in terms of certainly like ideal like hey we get all of our athletes all the mental support that they need the physical the mental the whole the whole thing and at a high school level that's just unheard of but there is some trickle down but how do you blend those two things and make it part of the norm in terms of at the highest level I think the first part of it is presence uh, so for myself I this past year, I traveled probably, I was on the road 25 days out of each month. Uh, and so it's, it's of course, busy. Um, that's baseball, right? Uh, in the minor leagues, we're playing, I think this past year, our guys played around 120 games, which is 20 less than what they typically did. And um, then, of course, at the major league level, it's 162, but it's presence. So for me, I am at the stadium. I'm in baseball attire. So during the game, I'm wearing baseball pants, hat on, uh, raise hat. Um, I don't wear a jersey, but like a BP top. And so just the presence being around. And then also for me, I, I love doing this, but I think a lot of other mental performance coaches will do it when asked is hitting fungos or in the outfield running down fly balls. That's actually a great time to have conversations with our pitchers. Um, just kind of just being around and being involved in all of it with our coaches, our on-field coaches. And then you might jump in at a, at a different time uh, and finding different times where it's about, um, for example, let's say we're doing a drill for our outfielders and the overall goal is for them to really increase their first step quickness and direction. Now, now, and then at the same time, they're trying to catch a tennis ball barehanded. Um, now that's increasing the difficulty. You got to have soft hands with it. You also have to beat the ball to a spot, which is why the first step is so important. Uh, so when that, when guys start to be frustrated with dropping the ball, it might be a great opportunity to say, Hey, I get you're frustrated with that, but remember the overall focus of the drill. And that starts up top. It starts with our mindset and our mentality of what we're trying to get out of the drill. First do this, then this will come. Can you speak to how you, how you, I don't know, set the mindset prior to 
a drill like that? What is, what is some of the language that you're using? Not just to, because when something bad happens, you want to bring them back to baseline on that like language even, right? Let's, so what's, where do you start? Yeah, you certainly want to be proactive if you can. And so, like you, like you said, the language, um, I think if our overall goal is to the first step quickness in that example is just being really like out front, up front with it and saying, Hey, the number one thing in this drill is this, the number one thing that we're trying to do in the cage today is this, um, and just setting our intentions. And I think that gets to maybe what we talk about so much is the process is just continually talking about that, um, the things that we want to do. And then really winning is a byproduct of everything that we have done leading up to that. Well, and I, I, I can't help but hear in your head when you say set the intention. I think of so many coaches and we may start a season doing that, right? Or we might start a career doing that and say, Hey, this, these are the drills. This is the point. This is what I, as our intention. Right. And as we get four, six, eight, ten 10 weeks into a season, now all of a sudden we show up to do a drill and there isn't that intention of, Hey, the first step is the most important part of this, the hand placement, the, your eyes, whatever your mindset, whatever the thing is that you want that intention to be, we lose that because it's like, Oh, this is part of our routine. We just go up and we do it. And I think that's such an important part that you just, you just nailed on the head there. I love that you, you highlighted that because I think to me, when, when you were saying that there are two big things that stuck out to me is that like, there's two sides of mental toughness. And I think so many times we think about like the failure side, handling failure, but what about handling success? Because that's where like, that's where discipline comes in. And just being willing to do the same thing over and over, of course, you have to make adjustments along the way. But when we have a blueprint in a sense of success, are we disciplined and committed enough to keep doing it? Because we know it will give us the best chance at success. Uh, and, and so that's always an awesome part to talk about with players. Well, and I think you you hit it kind of in passing, right? A, a player gets frustrated because they drop the ball we think about that, like that's this outcome driven mindset, right? I want the outcome to be that I catch the ball, that I make the play that I, you know, like, again, these really high level talented athletes are going, nothing should stop me from a simple hand-eye coordination process, right? right? So the outcome should be a given. Well, maybe that's not the thing that we're actually focusing on, but that's the thing that gets stuck in our head. And how many times do our athletes, the people that we're working with, and here's, here's my secondary question, our coaches. And our coaches and our teachers and our parents, they see the outcome not go the way that they want to, and they forget the bigger picture. My question comes to you in this, and, and you tweeted it, and I think it's the, the tweet that John mentioned that got you re he retweeted it and everything kind of came together was parents and coaches need to learn this stuff too. How do we do that? How do we teach and coach these parents? Because you said presence is maybe the most important part of this thing. Well, the parents and the coaches are who's most consistently present, especially at the high school collegiate level, when there isn't a full-time mental skills coach, when there isn't somebody constantly there, what are some of our first steps to go and tell coaches, here's where you can begin this process for, for these athletes who maybe have never heard it before. Yeah, I, I think for one, um, it is similar to what we're doing this podcast. There are so many different resources out there now 
uh, that if we if you go search for it, you're likely to find it. Just like uh, the things that we look for and whether mentally, we're likely to find. Uh, but I think so much for parents and coaches where you can start for not only yourself, but your athlete or um, non-athlete doesn't really matter because uh, we're all using our minds throughout the day is start with like intentions um, or, or sometimes I'll say like our standards, our values. And to me, they should be a hundred percent controllable. Basically, how are you going to go about your day or how are you going to go about this practice? Uh, and those go to the all fundamental aspect of the controllables, uh, like our effort, our attitude, our energy, um, our emotions, are those things outlined that that's what we want to be able to control. Um, and then I think from there, it kind of goes up to our language and how are we describing what is going on? Uh, what is like an initial thought that comes to play when maybe even like we get up for the day. I used to think about, uh, so I was in Mankato, of course, for uh, my graduate program. And I was pretty close to the, um, just the campus and the office. So I would always walk over, no matter if it was uh, warm or cold, snowing, raining, I was walking over. And I kind of took note of my thoughts when I initially woke up. And of course it's Minnesota. So I think one of the times when I was, um, while I was there in the winter, we had a stretch of like negative 50 degree uh, wind chill. And we actually got closed for a week, which is kind of rare. Um, Minnesota <laughs> tough, not just Minnesota nice, but leading up to that, it was still extremely cold. And I thought when I first woke up, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm dreading this walk. And right there, I was thinking, well, if I have that thought right now, will I also have a similar thought when something else gets tough? And so I think just taking notice, having awareness of our thoughts throughout the day, because I think for our athletes, so many of those thoughts carry over to the competition. And when things get tough, do we revert back to some comfort? And now we're avoiding some of the competition. Maybe that's fear of failure, or it's just flat out uncomfortable. Uh, and so I think some of those things, intentions, uh, and then language as well. I love that, Jamie, you're absolutely right. That was the tweet, right? That got me going like, hey, I want to talk to Chris, right? Because we we work with athletes and coaches sometimes and it's like, hey, help my athletes, fix them, give them the tools that they need, right? And And it's helpful. It can be beneficial. But when you look at it from a holistic perspective of if they're hearing similar language from their coach and their parents, and not only for the parents to understand it, because I think I work a lot with individuals and there are parents who understand, I know that this is beneficial. I want this for my kid, but they don't always do the work for themselves, right? And when they don't do the work for themselves, it's harder to reinforce it for their kids and support them in that aspect of it too. So I love that, again, you, you looked at that holistic approach to everybody's got to be doing this because ultimately you're right whether we're an athlete or we're retired or whatever, we're using our mind, we're using language that impacts how we go about our day and the thoughts that we have. A hundred percent. And so much of the, uh, we talk about it sometimes in youth sports more so because our, our professional athletes are 
uh, baseball players in the Rays organization aren't really jumping in the car after the game and riding home with mom and dad or, or guardian, whoever, but that's a, that can be a really difficult time for youth athletes is they just dread the ride home with mom, dad, guardian is that they know if they mess up on the field, that car ride just got worse because the overall goal was to just flat out have outcomes, get hits, um, strike out batters rather than, and I, and, you know, I think there's certain times where those things come more into play. Of course, at the professional level, uh, those things come into play even more because it's all, it's about performance. Uh, but there are certain times when it's like kind of pull back the reins and realize where we're at and how much of it is like just strictly development and enjoying what you're doing. Because again, uh, I said it earlier, it's like winning is a byproduct of so many different things along in the process. So are you guys encouraging that, you know, you're in the minor league structure of, of the program. They aren't riding home with their parents, but they're, many of them probably aren't married, you know, having kids either. They're spending a lot of time together. Are you encouraging that sort of language reinforcement for them when they're in that relational because everybody's kind of going through the same thing. They want to get hits because now I move up, you know, they want outcomes because now I go from a ball to double a ball, or I have a chance to increase my future earning potential, whatever it might be. So they're, they have a focus there too, as mental skills coaches in the organization. Are you saying, Hey, watch your language when you're together, or if, are we redirecting that? That's just a curiosity question from me. Certainly try to nudge guys in that direction. Um, I, there are definitely times when I play to guys, different relationships with each other. Uh, I think uh, pro ball can be very unique in that. And I certainly felt it is sometimes when you're not very close with another teammate, you're kind of in this weird feeling of, uh, well, we're really in competition because if you make it to the big leagues, that means I don't make it or it lessens my chance to make it. But you certainly, and that was actually one of the things that I loved about and I do love about our organization is the uh, camaraderie, the closeness of so many of our guys is that they're all in competition with each other, but like they're best friends, which I think makes a huge difference a lot like your experience and then how your performance. So talk a little bit about how that culture is fostered, because I think that's a challenge for no, again, no matter what level you're talking about, if we're talking about youth, high school, college, professional, you are essentially in competition with the guy next to you or in your position group or whatever. So how do you guys do that differently in terms of creating that expectation and that culture of, hey, we're going to be friends and we're going to compete like crazy. And at the end of the day, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I wish I could tell you that like, this is what we do, the blueprint of how we foster these guys to be great friends. Uh, I don't know, but my guess is that, and being around some of them uh, for a good amount of time is that they're like-minded and not everyone is, is like really good friends with each other. Like that just doesn't happen and it doesn't necessarily have to happen. Uh, But some of the guys that I saw, like our, some of our outfielders who are play the same positions, I think they're very like-minded. Uh, and so they kind of gravitated towards each other. They're also, um, they're okay with feedback. So they might give each other a hard time about not running uh, the bases hard and they don't take it personal. 
And so I think part of that might come from, that's just who they are right now as a person. Uh, but also it, I think it can come from our coaches and um, our mental performance department, because we do talk about having a growth mindset and accepting uh, feedback and being accountable. Well, and you said it a little bit earlier, you said what we focus on grows, you know, this is something I've said probably a hundred times on the podcast, right? Whatever we focus on grows, it's just the way our brain works. What we let in, we let in more of, and right. If we're, if we're comfortable receiving feedback, we're going to be comfortable getting a hard time from our buddies. And it doesn't feel like it's competitive. It just feels like you're growing me. It feels like you're pushing me and challenging me. And, and one of my experiences, you know, I was super fortunate to be super part of a bunch of really great teams and vulnerable connected is the secret sauce, right? It is like, it just, that is the thing that allows us the freedom to perform at our best. Is there, I don't know, you said you don't have a, a sense of what it is. Like there's that like-mindedness that you talk about, but is, are there things that you're encouraging in the mental performance side to say, let's be a little bit vulnerable, maybe not teammate to teammate, but maybe we got to go home and, and share this stuff with somebody we really care about and that we trust. Definitely. I think the support system is talked about a lot. I'll talk to guys about um, whether it's their girlfriend, some are married. Actually, we have a fair amount of guys that are married, uh, which is, was kind of uh, mind blowing for me when I first got into the, into the mental performance uh, world with us, but okay, great. Do you have someone to go to when kind of the garbage is hitting the fan and um, not just to be able to, um, in a sense, vent, but also come up with a game plan. Uh, because I think that is probably one of the areas where we miss as people is that we feel like we just got to get it out. But so many times we just continue to ruminate in that. So venting really ends up being destructive. But if you add the piece of having a plan of action, now you are allowing that venting session to increase productivity and be ready and kind of have even more of a bounce back plan, be a little bit more resilient. So support is huge. We encourage our guys to have a support system. And if you don't have a girlfriend, wife, or um, it's not helpful to go to, um, you know, mom and dad type of thing, you have to realize that. Cause I think that's really, really hard is that some guys will um, I know that I talked to my dad after I talked to my parents a lot, but I would talk to my dad about at bats all the time. Uh, and sometimes it was helpful. Majority of the time it was helpful because he would help me simplify things and kind of get back to the process. And maybe even times he might uh, not necessarily lie, but kind of nudge me along the lines of like, Hey, you're okay. Like stick with it. Um, maybe even though he realized that like, uh, where I'm at is not a great place, but it was helpful to like be resilient. And so if you can find those people and also find the people who are kind of uh, draining for you is now go to someone else. If I'm that person, then great. And that's certainly one of the things that I'd like to be is be a mental performance coach that maybe I didn't have. So a real quick story reminded me, you, you talked about venting, but then with a purpose, right? with an action plan, it, it is helpful to get some of that out. We got to get stuff out of off our chest, whatever reminded me. And we're not, we don't talk a lot about faith on, on this podcast, but reminded me of my mom and my mom talks about prayer in, in that you can't just pray and hope, 
right? You can't just vent and then hope something's going to change. You got to go do something about it too. So you got to pray and then take action. And again, not, not a religious thing here, but um, that just reminded me of that. The other thing that I want to get to and ask you about is something you just put out not too long ago too. And it was about positive and negative thinking are both beneficial. I think we live in a world right now, especially there's we're fighting so much to say, Oh, everything be positive. Just be positive, stay up, you know, do the whole thing. And, and so I, I think people, there's a misconception sometimes where it's like, Oh, just be positive. Think positive things are going to happen good. And then when we have negative thoughts or negative thinking, then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I have this huge weight now, but I think your perspective. So maybe just talk a little bit about that, how both positive and negative thinking are actually beneficial for us. Yeah, for me, it's all about productivity and uh, getting the most out of yourself. And there are times when positive thinking does that. And there's times when positive thinking takes away from that. And like, then it's not truthful. Um, I think then you also create a blind spot there because there's, we have different cognitive biases. Uh, everyone does. And positivity bias is a bias and also negativity bias is a bias. Um, and so it's realizing when uh, which one is going to help in that moment. Um, I think at times that, um, and I think uh, maybe another great way to think about it, the late Trevor Moad, who has worked with a lot of uh, great athletes and uh, Russell Wilson, to name one of them, they talk about neutral thinking. And I think it, it ends up being very like fact focused and process focused. It's not that, um, hey, we're gonna come back because that's still outcome focused. Um, it's talked about how like there's a lot of game left. That is truth. And that there's a lot of game left for it to go either way, but it's just about the opportunity in that. And so to go back to positive and negative thinking, the negative side can be helpful when we outline barriers. We know that something's going to happen. So I'll talk to players about, okay, if our overall goal is to get to the big leagues, what do you think is something that's going to get in the way? whether it is controllable or uncontrollable. They might list things like uh, an injury. Uh, maybe that's on borderline of controllable and uncontrolled. Okay, well, um, what goes into that? Well, hydration, sleep, uh, probably just overall mental fatigue as well. All of those things can play a factor in our, um, our ability to stay healthy. Well, then other things that are out of our control are maybe the perception of a coach well, we can't control that, but that might stop us from, from getting to where we want to be or overall failure, our ability to handle um, 0 for fours or giving up home runs and um, our ERA is high. So those barriers might be there. Let's outline them. So we might, some guys might say, I don't want to think about that. Uh, but it's also important to know, well, when those things happen, because it's not if they happen, it's when they happen, how are you going to think? So it's blending the two positive and negative to be the most productive that you can be. I love this. I, you know, I taught language for a long time. Right. And I, I said, you know, there's these pathways in our brain that, that become really simple to follow, really comfortable. You go back to that language that you use. It's really easy to go to this place, right? Because we've, we've built this pathway and it's the comfortable, normal sort of way. But while we're learning, while we're progressing, there's going to be barriers along the way. And one of the things we have to be able to do is identify where they're going to show up and then how to work our way around them. If you've never at least acknowledged the fact that, Hey, 
I might have an inflated ERA someday. And how's that going to change my perspective to my process on the mound, every single pitch, if I'm concerned or worried that, Hey, I just gave up a hit and you know, that, that one's going to be on me when I get pulled or whatever. And now the ERA is going to reflect, like, it's going to change your capacity to perform at a consistent high level. And I think that's one thing that I see from you a lot is consistency is, is the thing that we are after, you know, and I, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but identifying those barriers is, is part of learning to be consistently in your best place. That's a, it's a really good point that you made about um, just when you continually do something uh, like maybe if you're going back to comfort and on maybe more of like the neurological side, and I'm not a neuroscientist at all, but when we continually do something, we kind of, we strengthen that bond. And I believe it's like our myelin sheath like continues to grow and that's, it becomes easier to do. Uh, so I think about that with, when it comes to our language, our, our habits, um, our intentions, when we continually do it, not only is it maybe a little bit more comfortable, but it increasingly becomes comfortable. So that's why growth can be really hard. Um, just being comfortable, being uncomfortable can be really difficult because it's just like, one, we don't want to do it, but if we don't do it, the, our path to maybe being our best kind of is starting to, um, get a little bit further away from us. I think yeah. it's such a, no, it's such a good point because I, I just had a conversation with a coach the other day and he's like, I know when I'm getting to the point where I'm losing the control in my head. Right. And outwardly I'm, I'm able to contain it and manage it, but inwardly I'm going a million miles an hour. And I know that I'm not focused on the things that I need to be focused on. And so he was, he's frustrated. Cause he's like, he's at the point where he's aware of it. He's like, how do I change it? How do I, how do I do it? And it's like exactly what you just said is like, okay, first we got to become aware and then we have to continually do it over and over and use some skills to, to change that and to channel that into something that we is more productive and helpful for us. Right. And the more that we do it, the more comfortable it becomes. And I think that's part of, again, I think one of the barriers in mental skills and mental performance right now is we're used to the physical stuff and being like, Hey, we know it takes time, but the mental stuff, we want it to just, we want it to be a quick fix. We want it to work. Right. And so I I think that's such an important part of just consistency. It gets more comfortable. It gets easier. The more we do it. I think that's a, it's a really good point of that. The physical side has always been there and the strength and conditioning side took a really big leap um, years ago. uh, And there are, like now light years ahead, it feels like at times in, in the sports psychology field is still young. I think this year, coming year, there will be now 76 mental skills, mental performance, mental conditioning, whatever the title might be, um, coaches within all organizations in baseball, which is phenomenal. And it, and it becomes sometimes difficult to, to measure because there's a lot of intangibles So you have to, I think where you can kind of go is blending the mental side with maybe like the physiological side. And so when you, uh, when you mentioned it, John, about the coach kind of being aware of his stress level and now Mm -hmm. like, okay, what's a, what's a tool to help me? Uh, One of the best tools, and it can go for 
a variety of different areas, it, but certainly for stress is our ability to breathe and regulate ourselves. And it's something we all do, of course. Uh, it's one of those things that if you think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, maybe sometimes we think about like food and water. Well, we can go days without food and water. Try to go a minute without breathing. Like it's panic mode already. And I think that's a, it can show some really great aspects of what it could be because CO2, which is of course what we release when we breathe, um, is actually what tells us to breathe. Um, I used to think that it was my body wanting just oxygen, but really it's like the release of CO2. And there's some cool research out there that shows our CO2 tolerance um, is really kind of like the CO2 is like our uh, stress molecule. So our ability to handle C more CO2 actually can increase our ability to be resilient and handle stress. And that's just all built by breath exercises, right? I've read a yeah. ton about, about diving and the same stuff. Like it's not, you need oxygen. It's you need to get it out. Right. That's what the panic comes from is that, Hey, I need to get rid of this. That's, you know, causing right. me to freak out. And so doing those breath exercises allow us to develop resiliency, which is a crazy sort of thing to think about that, you know, as an athlete, somebody, I, oh, I need to go and get in the weight room. I'm gonna spend an hour and a half getting a workout in today. Well, if I spent seven minutes doing breathing exercise, it might be more valuable come my next at bat or my next trip to the mound or, you know, pick a sport and say, what, what situation is high stress for you? That breath exercise might be as valuable or more valuable in some instances than any time spent in the weight room. And you talked about it. I say this all the time to coaches, strength and conditioning 30 years ago is where mental skills are today. And it's going to accelerate much quicker because of the resources we have, right? If you're not doing this five, six, eight years from now, every other people are, and they're, they're going to have an advantage and their athletes are going to be practiced at it because they're going to get it at 12, 13, 15, you know, it's not going to be when they get to the big leagues and have a, a full-time mental skills coach. So, uh, incredible stuff, man. I, I, we could probably have this conversation all day cause we're, we're nerdy about it and we love it, but just so many little detailed things that you gave some of our coaches, some of our listeners to say, just try it. Like, just try this thing because it's, it is attempts, right? That is the thing right? Elite right. performance comes from effort and trying things and being willing to fail and risk that failure. Who cares if uh, you didn't get the breath exercise exactly right today, you're, you're moving in the right direction. So thanks for joining us, Chris. I had a great time. Um, good luck to the Rays. I don't know, John, anything? Oh, you, you summed it up. Well, Jamie, thank you, Chris. Uh, again, it's crazy how small the world is and it's always good to have conversations like this because it grows us and hopefully it's going to grow our listeners too. So I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me on reaching out to me. That's uh, always fun to talk about just so many different aspects of the mental game. So thank you. Excellent stuff from Chris today, Jamie, I, a ton of just bullet points, man. I'm thinking through my head in terms of like, what, what are the things that stood out and, some of the things that we've talked about before, right. And, and just talked about it a little bit differently today, but what stood out to you as far as some of those bullet points? Well, one of the things that was kind of, we kind of glossed over and I, I asked a question about vulnerability and it being a secret sauce, but he talked about how those guys really 
are willing to compete with each other and still really care about each other at the same time. And, and one of the things that struck me as I was kind of reflecting on it is this idea of competing with, not against, you know, that, that capacity, what the best of the best do, right. Is they understand and maybe not, I mean, maybe when we're thinking about Michael Jordan or we're thinking about Tom Brady, kind of having that chip on your shoulder, I was drafted 199th overall or what I'm going to have this chip on my shoulder. I'm going to be super competitive. I'm going to leave, take these little tiny slights and I'm going to make them be a motivating factor. But one of the things that great runners do, for example, or great swimmers, these people that, that compete in individual, individual sports, they understand like actually the better my competition is causes me to perform better. You know, if you're on, you're in the Rays farm system and you have a really great center fielder that you're competing against to be at the, at the major league level, guess what? It has to raise your level to be the guy to get to that, to that level. And so think reframing competition and being grateful that somebody is better than you or that you're competing at a really high level with somebody like that's actually a gift. And we look at it as, oh, it's cutthroat. It's, I got to, you know, I, I think there is a, there's a mental skill in that to say, oh, I have a really great performer on my team. I might not be the best. I might not be getting all the, the looks I want. I might not be getting all the recognition that I deserve because that other guy's really good. Great. That's a gift, right? Jocko, good. Go and chase his excellence too and, and compete with him, not against him. And I think that, certainly transcends transcends the athletic field right in life we're always looking you look at social media you look at our relationships you know people around us whatever in our jobs whatever we're always in this comparison game right and you call it comparison compete they're both the same right and so we sometimes on the on the athletic field it's easier to say oh yeah yeah no that that brings my performance up if i'm competing at at a higher level but then when we get to life i think it's a little harder transition to make because it's like no well that person seems like they have it all together they're successful they're getting all these things they're making this amount of money they have these kids their life is this right and again it goes to what you talked about in the episode where it's like the thing that we focus on the thing that we put our energy toward, that's where we're going to, to be, right? And that's what we're going to consume. And so I think that comparison game, that competition game is life, right? Not to make life a game, but the people around us, if they are acting, behaving, choosing, living in, in such a way that is a high level, that is going to bring us up if we choose to let it. Well, and then, then it, brings in all the other pieces that we talk about with Chris and that Chris kind of led us towards, Oh, we got to get super good at the basics. We got to be really foundationally great at basic skills, right? We have to have great relationships with people. We got to have high standards for ourselves, right? Taking control of our breath when things get stressful, all these little details that he was talking about that are going to make us perform at a higher level, like, they become part of the comparison game, right? In some way, they become part of competing, which it is healthy, right? It is healthy to compare at a small level. It is healthy to compete on a small level, right? It, it gets unhealthy when we think we have to be competing with, you know, these influencers that have millions of followers and things like that, because we're going to take shortcuts. We're not going to do the basic stuff really well. We're going to take, um, 
some liberties to try and juice those numbers because the numbers and the outcomes are the important part, not the process. And it just, it's such an amazing thing to talk to people in this field that are doing it at the professional level, at the highest possible level. And what we're hearing are the same things we've been saying, the same things we've been communicating since day one. And they're the things that help us perform things that help us grow and get better. It's not, it's not complex, right? <laughs> it's pretty simple. Yeah. And I think the other thing we talked about that I, is a huge takeaway for me personally is the, is the venting, right? Without, without action gets us nowhere. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's okay to not be okay with something that's happening in your life and to vent about it and to, you know, to get that out there, but then make a plan, figure out what you want to do differently. Don't just complain. And I think that's another thing that as a society, it's so easy because there's so many ways that we can complain and so many people that we can tell all the things that we don't like about X, Y, and Z. Right. But then what is your solution? Do something, act, do something differently. Well, and that's, that triggers into another thought that he mentioned the positive versus negative, right? If it's okay to identify the negative potential pitfalls that are on the path, right? Choose to do something about it. Don't focus there. Don't give all your energy and your attention there. Find a way to make a plan, have a solution oriented mindset. You know, I'm going to find a solution right now. And man, it just all comes together in this really cool way. And he, he probably said it a whole lot better than we did here in the last five minutes, but um, I'm, I'm grateful. He, he was given such good juice. Absolutely. We appreciate you joining us today. If you so choose hit the rate review, subscribe, follow, but most importantly share. And if you don't know how to do those things, we're happy to help out too, but it helps us. It helps get the word out, not only about what we're doing, but also what all of these people that come onto our podcast, like Chris and like our upcoming episodes, Jamie, we have some really cool people coming on and I'm excited for those conversations and to share those as well. So we appreciate you guys joining us and listening. And as always, live eyes up.